0: Do you suffer from hardness of heart? Millions of people do. In fact, HOH is the leading cause of premature spiritual death in the whole wide world. So if you suffer from HOH, you need to get (laughs) Confess-It-All. Confess-It-All is made of all natural ingredients, including pulverized pride, raw humility, and pure pharmaceutical-grade gratitude. Now then, if you've got the symptoms of hardness of heart, you could have dull eyes, dull ears, and dim eyes. You can have darkened understanding. You could have diminished compassion. You can even have frequent trips to do evil. But if you take Confess It All, you can have all types of wonderful new symptoms. But if you can't afford it, it is available through our external, eternal assistant program. All you have to do is call 1-800-P-R-A-Y-E-R and ask for sinner assistance. And when you get your free bottle of Confess-It-All, you'll experience immediate forgiveness, cleansing from unrighteousness, and the freshly grown heart of flesh. Now then, there are a few side effects, unfortunately. Side effects can include, but are not limited to, joy, peace, kindness, hope, renewed sense of purpose, purpose, newfound patience toward others, even the really annoying ones. And too many other things to mention right now, so just ask the Holy Spirit and He'll tell you all about it. So you need confess it all. If you think you don't know if you need it or not, talk to your doctor. But if the doctor says no, why are you talking to a doctor? Talk to God. Get confess it all, unless you're perfect, but there's only been one person like that. Get confess it all.
1: I don't know if I want any of that confess-it-all or not. (laughs) What do you think? That looks like some dangerous
0: stuff.
1: Well, turn with me this morning, if you would, to Galatians chapter 6 and James chapter 5, because indeed we are going to talk a little bit about confess-it-all this morning. We've been looking at some of the one-another commands out of the Bible, so already we've looked at love one another, We've looked at uh, be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving to one another. Last week, we looked at what it means to bear one another's burdens. And so this morning, as we read out of Galatians and out of uh, the book of James, we're going to be looking at this idea of what it means to pray for one another and to confess our sins to one another. Now, we were in Galatians chapter six last Sunday, and in verse two, we were invited to carry each other's burdens. And in this way, we fulfill the law of Christ. So as we think a little bit about praying for one another and confessing our sins to one another and calling people back into a right relationship with Jesus, it really is a form of bearing one another's burden. So this is almost part B of what we talked about last Sunday, about bearing one another's burdens. Well, let's go to verse 1 of chapter 6 of Galatians. Brothers, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Then we get to verse 2 about carrying each other's burdens. Verse 3, if anyone thinks that he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions, and then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to someone else. Then over in James chapter 5, we hear some similar words, is anyone of you in trouble, he should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore... My brothers, if one of you should wander, wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord, and together let us say, Thanks be to God. Well, it seems like now that we have entered several decades where people often acknowledge their struggles and their sin and their failures in open public forums. It seems like it started years ago on those afternoon talk shows you remember Phil Donahue, Oprah Winfrey, Sally Jesse Raphael, and Geraldo Rivera. And it continues today with Dr. Phil, Ellen DeGeneres, the cast of The View, Wendy Williams, Jerry Stringer, just to name a few of some of the morning or afternoon talk shows. It continues on the social media websites. It's in the newspapers, And, of course, we can't leave out 48 Hours, Dateline NBC, or ABC's 2020. What do we hear on all of those programs? Well, we often hear the struggles and subsequent confessions of marital infidelity, an assortment of addictions, financial woes and embezzlements, crimes that land people in jail, and abuse, harassment, and assault in the workplace and in other locations made famous now by the Me Too movement. Some years ago, Boston Globe syndicated columnist Ellen Goodman wrote the following. She said, we have suffered through two decades of escalating confession on the part of citizens and leaders alike if ours was ever a repressed country it long ago turned into an emotional nudist camp we really do believe don't we on one level that confession is good for the soul but you know there's one place in our society that remains where public or private confession of the soul and struggles there's one place in our world where it no longer abounds and that place is the church you know the roman catholic church still has as one of its seven sacraments that of confession and absolution where there is some accountability to the faith community but generally churches have lost that ancient church practice called, are you ready for this word, exomologesis. How many of you have ever heard of exomologesis before? You know, exomologesis is one of those words that's just fun to say. Exomologesis. X-O-E-X-O, malo, M-O-L-O, and then Jesus, G-E-S-I-S. Exomologesis. Say it with me. Exomologesis. Say it one more time. Exomologesis. Now, when you get to work tomorrow or at some location, if you really want to impress those folks, you can say, you know, we talked about an interesting subject at church on Sunday. And the person will say, well, what did you talk about? You can say, exomologesis. And and they'll just be so impressed with with your level of of theological sophistication. Well, what in the world is exomologesis? Well, the word in Greek means to confess or to profess something. Ex is that ancient church practice of public admission of sin where people are reconciled and restored publicly in the presence of the congregation following private confession of sin. It often was done during the Lenten season to restore wayward members back into the fellowship of the church and into right relationship with Christ. But it's really interesting, you know, many many of you know I plan my sermons. I go on a retreat in July and I plan my sermons for the following year. So this sermon was planned back in 2017 but it just shows you how God is able to work. Would you believe that a week and a half ago in the LifeWay publication called Facts and Trends summer 2018 they did a short article based on a survey they had done on church discipline I just came across in the last week and a half LifeWay research did a survey of 1000 senior pastors and they asked the question how often does your church practice church discipline by the way let me just stop and say you know the word discipline doesn't really mean punishment, it means to teach. So as parents, when we're disciplining our children, we we ought to have a focus not on punishment, but on teaching, so that we can show a better way. But the question was, how many times has your church done church discipline? 55% of 1,000 senior pastors said that their church had never, ever practiced church discipline which means that 45% gave varying responses anywhere from we just practiced it in the last month to we practiced it within the last year to our church practiced it within the last three years to our church practiced it more than three years ago to one segment of that 45% that even said, I'm not sure. But just to say the vast majority of churches probably do not practice that ancient church practice called exomologesis, The restoration and the public acknowledgement of sin and then people brought back into a right relationship with God. Well, we've got to deal with James 5 and Galatians 6, even though it's not happening in our churches. Because James 5 tells us That we are to pray for one another James chapter 5 says that we are to confess our sins and our struggles to one another and James chapter 5 says that we are to seek out the wayward person who's gotten off the path of following Jesus and we are to restore and bring that person back as best we can then Paul writes in Galatians chapter 6, and he gives the process that we follow when someone is overtaken by a sin or by a trespass. The sense of that scripture where it says, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. The sense is that someone has, by surprise, almost fallen into a hole. You you ever been walking along somewhere and and the ground is not smooth, maybe it dips, or maybe you've actually fallen into a little hole and you trip and you do it by surprise? That's kind of the sense of this sentence. It's almost as if someone takes a false step. Maybe they mean to, maybe often they don't mean to, and so they are caught by surprise, and so is the person who is watching the behavior. The text says that when that happens, first of all, it says those who are spiritual. Now, you may say, well, that leaves out about 99% of us. We don't have to be responsible, do we? No, I, I would hope that would include all of us, those who are spiritually mature in our faith, We should seek, at that point, to restore the person. Now, now that's a word in the Greek that was used of fishermen who mended their nets. It's also used of a surgeon who is mending or fixing a fractured bone. So those of you who are spiritual, who observe someone who by accident, by surprise slips into a hole of behavior or language or thinking or attitudes and they're caught by surprise by that behavior. You are too. We are to restore them. We are to mend the bones. We are to mend the nets. And we do it in a spirit of gentleness. Now, that does take a spiritually mature person to call someone out on some behavior or thinking or attitude or words and seek to restore them with a spirit of gentleness. And Paul goes on in Galatians to say, But watch yourself, or you may be tempted. You see, the the thought is don't do it with a sense of pride as if you've got everything put together in your life. Don't be conceited. Don't think that you're perfect. Do it with that sense of gentleness, understanding that someone may have to come to you and straighten you out at some point. That's the spirit in which you do it. So Paul's perspective is that we bind ourselves to each other mutually in this community of faith that we call the church in responsible and accountable types of ways. And when we call out unchrist like behavior, we do it with a spirit of respect and gentleness. Our intent is to restore people into a right kind of walk with Jesus. And to borrow Jesus' language out of Matthew 7, we do it in such a way that we're not focusing so much on the splinter in someone else's eye that we ignore the log hanging out of our eyes. We don't do it with the spirit of judgmentalism. Now, our response may be, well, hey, your problems are your problems. It's none of my business if you're struggling with something spiritually. If you've got a thinking problem or an attitude problem or a behavior problem or a language problem then that's between you and God. It's none of my business and yet the instructions of James in James chapter 5 and Paul in Galatians 6 it doesn't seem that it releases us from a mutual accountability to each other to pray for each other and to confess our sins with each other and to each other. So The question becomes, what does prayer for each other look like in times like this? What does confession of sin or struggling to each other look like? And what does it look like to attempt to bring someone else back into a right relationship with Jesus? What does all that look like? Well, first of all, let me just say that it does require a level of spiritual maturity, as Paul writes. Second, I think it requires a relationship with someone with whom you have some longevity and a deep measure of trust. In other words, if if, if I'm just walking along and I see someone engaging in some unChrist-like behavior and I don't know the person, I don't know that that's the time for me to step in and try to straighten that person out. But if I have a relationship with someone or they have a relationship with me, and it's based on longevity and trust, then it seems that James's words and Paul's words are an invitation for us mutually to be open to each other such that we can call each other out in respectful and gentle and appropriate ways. So let's think about this scenario. Let, let's say that someone comes to us. We have a relationship with them based on love and trust and respect, and they come to us and they say, you know, I'm really struggling with something. I use profanity a whole lot, and I really don't want to. Or, you know, sometimes I really do treat people rudely and without respect, and I wish I didn't. Or I'm struggling with some moral failure in my life. Or I feel guilty because the last three or four years I know I've willingly, knowingly cheated on my 1040 federal taxes. Or. You know, I have a bad habit. I like to gossip about people, and I slander them sometimes and talk ugly about them. Or, I'm struggling with an addiction. We got a lot of those out there today, don't we? Or, you know, I've not been paying attention to my spiritual life lately. My prayers have hit the ceiling and bounced back down. I don't read my Bible much. I don't show up for worship. I'm really struggling in my spiritual life. If someone comes to you based on that type of mutual love and trust and respect, what should your response be? You do exactly what James said in James chapter 5. You say to that person with the spirit, of love and gentleness and respect very much aware that you may have a, a log hanging out of your eye and you are trying to remove the splinter out of them out of their eye you say without condemnation without judgment I am going to pray for you and I want to walk by your side to help pull you back into a right relationship with Christ I think that's what that looks like now what happens if you observe some of these behaviors and no one has invited you to comment on them. What do you do at that point? Okay, once again you've got a relationship with the person. It's based on longevity. There's a lot of love and trust there. And you, you watch the rude behavior. You hear the profanity. You see the judgmental attitudes. You, you see the effects of the addictive behavior. You you notice that they're not paying attention to their spiritual life and they're not engaging in those practices that cultivate a close relationship with Christ. What what do you do at that point? You go to them in a spirit of gentleness and love and you say, hey, I just want to invite you to think about what you are saying or what you were doing or thinking or your attitude I just want you to think about whether, whether you think it reflects the spirit of Jesus. That, that's a very gentle, loving way of coming alongside your brother or your sister in Christ. and invi- You're bringing them back. You're restoring them. You're mending the net. You're, fra- you're setting the fractured bone as best you know how. And you're owning to them, hey, I struggle with stuff too. Uh, you're struggling with this. Guess what I'm struggling with? You're sharing your burdens with each other. I think that's what the Christian community needs more of. We we need to be more accountable to each other and naming our struggles and naming our sin and asking for prayer and confessing that we need God ultimately to be our healer. Now that's one way some of that looks. Let me tell you another way that I think some of this prayer for other people praying for one another, confessing our sins to one another looks like. Jay Wolf is the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama. Somehow I've been on their newsletter mailing list for years and years and years and I always look forward to what he has to say in his pastor's column. And in July of this year, he wrote a column about how someone had attempted unsuccessfully, thankfully, to hack into one of his financial accounts. Someone had attempted to hack into one of his financial accounts. It necessitated a change in username and and passwords. A week later, after this happened, after someone attempted to hack into one of his financial accounts, another hacker hijacked his Instagram account and deleted 500 media posts that span the past five years. Evidently, the hacker snatched his account, he said, because it had 1,400 followers, and apparently they can sell that list of followers, of contacts, to advertisers. Then, a couple of days later, his credit card is hacked, and he incurs an $800 loss. It's not over with yet, folks. To add insult to injury, the next day his Twitter account is compromised. And the hacker writes the following note on his Twitter page. So the hacker is even sending him a note now. This is what he writes. He writes, I see that you truly are a pastor. I hacked into your email, but I was not the one that tampered with your Instagram. I did try to rip off your money, but it never worked out. It is not my desire to be here hacking people, but I am a graduate who has no work. Then a few minutes later, there's another tweet from the hacker. He said, I would like to talk with you, but it's not possible. I lost someone close to my heart, my dad. I did this because of him. I lost it all. Forgive me. People should attend your church. Jay Wolf writes back, my hacker friend, you are forgiven. Please follow Jesus because he will lead you to do good things that will help and not hurt people. You have some special computer skills, so use them to share Christ's love and light. Your future brother in Christ, Jay Wolf. And the hacker responds Thank you, sir. Please pray for me. Now, you know, that story is a beautiful illustration, I think, of people praying for other people, of attempting to find them once again or initially as a follower of Jesus. It's a wonderful story of confession of sin and of asking for help beyond ourselves. And notice in this story and in the other two examples that I gave you, that none of it is about assembling some type of church tribunal or council where we seek publicly to embarrass, harass, or insult people. It's done privately. And it's done redemptively to call people back into a relationship with Jesus, and it's based on mutual prayer and mutual confession. The late Mother Teresa who founded the Missionaries of Charity in Calcutta, India in 1950. She described at one time what she considered her life's purpose to be. And this is what she wrote. She said, God has called me to be a little pencil. You ever thought about yourself being a pencil? That's quite an image, isn't it? God has called me to be a little pencil writing his love story on the heart's Of his children. I think that's what prayer for others is all about. That's what confessing our sin to one another is all about. That's what pulling people back into a relationship with Jesus should look like. Not being a knife that stabs or slices or wounds someone else, but being a pencil, being God's pencil, writing his love story. On the hearts of his children. Let's pray together. God, we come to you this morning in the silence of our hearts, naming and confessing the sin and the failures, the ups and the downs of our lives knowing, God, that you have told us that when we confess our sin, that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So this morning, God, just one-on-one, just between you and us, Lord, we name those places where we struggle. And we ask for your help, your forgiveness, your cleansing. We pray for your healing and Lord we also pray for a new courage and boldness that based on gentleness and trust and respect and love that we might find those individuals that we can go to where we can name those struggles and those sins and find that gentle and loving and grace-filled response in return so Lord point us toward those people to whom we need to confess our sin Open our hearts, God, so that we might hear the failures and the struggles of others with that gentle and respectful and non-judgmental spirit. That's our prayer this day, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.